0: Um, so Amos, the prophet, starting at verse one of chapter one, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. I'm going to pause there and point out something. He's naming kings of two different nations. He's naming a historical event, the earthquake, and he's, he's naming a particular place. Uh, place, time, and people. Oftentimes, uh, the Bible in general, and especially the Old Testament, we sort of go, oh, it's all just a metaphor. It's a parable. It doesn't claim to be historic, and we shouldn't interpret it that way. Uh, actually, no, the Bible itself makes historical claims about reality that happened in real space and time and history. So we can either say Amos is a liar, or someone later pretended to be a guy named Amos and lied about when he wrote the book. Or we can say this is a genuine text. But we, we are not allowed as genuine readers to just go, oh, okay, it was never intended to be taken seriously. We're on that later. Moving on. <laughs> Second verse. Um, verse 2. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion. And utters his voice from Jerusalem, which is the capital city of God's people. And Zion is the mountain of God. If you have no context for this, the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers, which is a mountain, not made of candy, an actual place called Carmel. Why well, don't I stop there? Um, if you would allow me, I want to pray, and then we'll we'll jump in. God, thank you um, for bringing us here. Thank you for giving us a breath. Um, Thank you for these uh, lovely students. Uh, I pray that you would use whatever happens tonight um, to cause them to flourish as the people that you've made them to be. Um, Your kingdom come, your will be done at William and Mary as it is in heaven. Amen. Um, My uh, my wife, she just left. She has a sister named Joy. Uh, When they were younger, people would confuse them all the time. They're 11 months apart, which is called Irish Twins um which is like i think that might be a microaggression uh how do i think about it? no <laughs> making fun of catholic people um but um um the, joy uh is married uh, her husband is named spot um and she has a dog named jake which is so backwards. Uh, Spot, Spot is named thusly because he has a birthmark on the side of his head. So he's, he's had this white patch since childhood on the side of his head. And he's been called Spot for forever. And he pre- actually prefers to be called Spot. My kids love him. Uncle Spot. But they have a dog named Jake. And Jake is the perfect dog. Like he is. He's a mutt. Like he's a rescue. But he's part um, golden retriever and part monster. Um, like, he's just like, he's a he's golden retriever, but with shorter hair, like a yellow lab, and just really tall and really happy all the time, except when there's a stranger. And uh, when there is a perceived, perceived intruder, Jake goes nuts, and he's got this really deep, loud, intimidating bark and it's really funny because it's like the bark is worse, worse than the bite, right? Like he's not actually going to hurt it. He would like lick their face if they actually came in the door. Like they could be there to like hold the house hostage and take everything they own. But he would like love them. But nonetheless, he, when he <laughs> senses an intruder, he, he, he goes crazy. He starts barking. He starts going nuts. And uh, he's scary. He scares my kids when there's a moment where he gets scared. Um, and here in Amos, God is pictured throughout the book as a lion roaring um, not barking but roaring uh, at the notion of intruders um, he is bellowing um, and it's at the intrusion of enemies and what the Bible elsewhere would call sin or rebellion against God He's, it's pictured as God sitting on top of a mountaintop screaming in anger at the world. It's very scary. Verse two, he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors and the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Um, and what happens is uh, we're introduced to him roaring and later he's specifically called a lion um, What the prophet Amos does, speaking for God, he does sort of a spiral of nations. If you look at verse 3, we're just going to read this one because he repeats himself over and over again. It says, thus says the Lord, which is a thing a prophet says. God says this, says the prophet. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And then he goes on and talks about what the transgressions of Damascus are. And that that language of for three and for four is a Hebrew poetic device that says, like, you've been doing lots of things wrong, Damascus. It's piling up. It doesn't mean that they've actually done three, maybe four. (laughs) I kind of lost count. Maybe three, maybe four. It's a a literary device that says it's piling up. It's a lot. And, And God is roaring like a lion about it. And then he repeats that. Seven or eight times that refrain, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of blank, for four I will not revoke the punishment. And then he delineates the things that these places, he starts with Damascus. And then he mentions other cities or nations or peoples who've done done really wrong things. They're bad guys. And God's roaring at the bad guys. They're intruders coming into the house. God is like Jake waking up at one in the morning, barking at a squirrel, but it's not a squirrel; it's an intruder coming into our house. Um, and what's interesting is what God is doing. He lists these places. We won't read them all, but he says Damascus for three for three transgressions of Damascus, for three transgressions of Gaza, for three transgressions of Tyre, of Edom, of the Ammonites, of Moab. Did you just get chill bumps? No. <laughs> we don't know what those things are. Let me, um, those are other nations. And so Israel, the receiving audience, God's people are listening to this. There's, there, at this point in history, there had been a civil war and God's people had been split into Judah and Israel. Okay? But this is prim, Amos is primarily ministering to Israel. But Judah might have heard this little story too. Okay? And what he's doing is he's like, I'm a lion roaring at evil. And for for us, it would be like, for three transgressions of Los Angeles, and Orlando, and New York City, and Louisville, and Charlotte, and D.C., and Richmond, and Norfolk, and Newport News. So... If you look at a map, as Amos spirals at the lion roaring at these nations, he's getting closer and closer to you, Judah. And then he finally concludes for three transgressions of Judah, the other nation, and then his primary audience for three transgressions, transgressions of Israel, Williamsburg. Imagine that Williamsburg is the people of God, right? We're God's people. We're us. Um, Israel. And then he's given like a little paragraph about like these other nations that like even today we would associate with like ISIS. And he's like, I'm going to talk for like 30 seconds about ISIS. And now I'm going to spend seven chapters on you. And what's funny is hearing that spiral, like God's people are going to be going, yeah, <laughs> the lion, he's going to bring some justice to them. The bad guys, the evil nations, the wickedness in the world. And then all of a sudden the lion is roaring in there. F- it's, like, it's like you can smell the biscuits on his breath right in his face. Dog biscuits, not the, regular, not the ones with gravy, because lions would never eat those. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but he's spiraling in on his people. And at that point, Amos's audience would just be like, wait, what? Like us? Like we're the good guys. We're the Jesus people. Not yet, but we will eventually be the Jesus people. Um, what is going on? The lion is roaring at an intruder. And Amos is saying, Israel, the intruder, isn't them. It's you. You're the introvert, And he goes off on them. We won't read it all. But he goes off on them for two major categories of things. First, just sort of false, empty religion. Religiosity. And second, going along with that and where he spends most of his time, neglect of the poor. He's saying, "You, you will sell a poor person for a sandal. For a sandal. That's one of the metaphors he gives. And we can mush those two things together, false religion and neglect of the oppressed, of the needy, of the poor, into one thing and call that hypocrisy. Um, Hypocrisy. Um, Dr. Cornell West was here uh, a few years ago and he spoke on Martin Luther King Jr. Day and he talked about um, how historians write about the, the inconsistencies of the South. And he's like, they call it in history books... A historical dilemma between the, the Christianity of the South, of the white South, and of their oppression uh, of, of the slaves. And he's like, they call it an interesting dilemma or one of the ironies of history. He's like, I will call it what Jesus and the prophets call it, and that is hypocrisy. And you can feel it in the room. It's so, it's so cool. Anyway, Hypocrisy is what Amos is talking about. He's saying, you are the intruder, Israel. You are the intruder. You are the one I am roaring at, even though you're my own people. You're an intruder and you don't even know it. Yes, these nations are your enemies, and they might come and cut your throats. Because that was the historical reality that we're a little bit oblivious to these days, but becoming a little bit more aware of. (laughs) But the majority of human history has consisted of living in a nation that you wanted to keep safe, but knowing full well that war could break out at any time and someone could kill you. Okay? That's the reality. Think um, Game of Thrones (laughs) (laughs) is what it was like. And um, these nations are your enemies, but the greater enemy Israel is you. My people, your greatest enemy is you. You are your own worst enemy. And he delineates their false religion, religion and oppression of the poor, selling the poor for a sandal. And he also goes on through these chapters and he, he, he indicates to them, like, you know what? I've already been warning you of this and you've been ignoring me. And he repeats this refrain, kind of like, for three sins of Israel, for four I will not relent. Um, he says, like, you know, I sent a plague, I sent locusts, I sent this, I sent that, I sent an army. And he says over and over and over again. Seven or eight times. This refrain is repeated over and over. But you would not return to me. But you did not return to me. But you did not return to me. I sent an army. But you did not return to me. I sent locusts. But you did not return to me. I sent a plague. But you did not return to me. I sent a prophet. But you did not return to me. And then finally he says. Seek the Lord and live. Seek me and live. And after saying that in chapter five, and pick up at verse 28 or 21, in chapter five, he, he really zeros in on this hypocrisy thing, because here's what's interesting: They've been ignoring the poor, but Israel's still been completely religious. And God says this to them. Listen, this is Amos quoting God to his own people. It's amazing to me. I hate. Do you picture God saying the words I hate? Ever? What does God hate? Saying to his people I hate. I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. It should be like going to church on Sunday. <laughs> even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not even look on them. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I can't read verse 24 without hearing the voice of Martin Luther King Jr. You, you know that famous speech where he quotes this? Bernie Sanders tried to do it the other night. It was like, mm, no, should have picked another verse. Um, it was it's okay. Um, the same. Um, uh, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing Stream. At this point in the book, God has zeroed in on the issue. Hypocrisy. I take no delight in your feasts and your sacrifices and your songs because you're oppressing the poor. And I don't care about the other stuff. Interesting, right? I hate it, he says. Let me ask you a question don't you hate hypocrites? Like we see someone that's hypocritical, or oh, I, I hate that guy. Mm. It's the worst. We all do, right? Well, let's let's define it really quick. Let's define hypocrisy. Uh, how do we usually define hypocrisy or a hypocrite? A hypocrite, help me. A hypocrite is a person who says one thing but does another. Yeah. He says one thing, but he does another. Right? I say, don't get drunk, but I go over here and get drunk. I say, let's protect the sanctity of marriage, but I have four divorces. Um, I I say, don't commit adultery, but I just... Googled myself and, saw, oh, I'm on the Ashley Madison list, right? Like, um, oh, oh, that's a hypocrite, right? That's, what, that's how we talk about hypocrisy. Um, and one danger of modern Bible people, people who came to William and Mary looking for a group like RUF and saying, I want to study the Bible. Um, one danger that we have is is this. Uh, If you guys have ever heard of Francis Chan, he's a pastor somewhere. Um, He's on YouTube. Uh, But he he gave uh, an interesting illustration I'm going to kind of like steal. And um, plagiarize. Don't do this in class. Hypocrite. Um, But uh, he he was talking, and I'll, I'll use it with my own kids. My kids were here. I have four of them, and the oldest two are Naomi and Benjamin. I want you to imagine... Um, that I'm getting ready, like we're getting ready for dinner, and I look to Naomi and Benjamin, the oldest two, and I say, Naomi and Benjamin, go clean your rooms before dinner. And I say, okay. And they run upstairs, and we're getting dinner ready, and we're laying everything out. And then Naomi and Benjamin come down at dinner time right beforehand, and they say, Dad, guess what? Watch this. Benjamin, you go first. I'm Naomi right now. Benjamin, you go first. Naomi and Benjamin, go clean your rooms before dinner. And then Naomi looks at Benjamin and says, Naomi and Benjamin, go clean your rooms before dinner. Nailed it. Did you hear that, Dad? We heard what you said, and we memorized it. And now we're saying it back to you. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. But did, did you clean your room? Okay, wait. We got Elijah and Phoebe into our room. And we got in a circle. And we told them what you said. And then we talked about it for a while. And we talked about, like, what would it look like if we were to... Uh, clean our rooms before dinner, and like, what would it really feel like in our lives? Like, what would the room look like if we were to do that? What would this campus or room look like if we obeyed you? Um, and and we even like Benjamin looked up uh, the word for room in the Greek, and it means um, like a place where you sleep and dwell, uh, which is amazing. And you know, it, we had a really great discussion, and we closed in prayer and. Uh, It's awesome. Like, right? See it? Did you clean your room? Like, I just wanted you to clean your room. I didn't want you to memorize it. I wanted you to do it. Completely missing the point of God's word to us, right? And guilty? Guilty. Guilty. Um, When the actions don't match the talk. I memorized it, but did I do it? Um... And missing, not just like the, the words not matching the actions, but completely missing the point of what was told to us. I think we're guilty of that. I know that I am. That is one definition of hypocrisy. Um, and by the way, for many of you, this is why you have rejected Christianity in the first place. Um, and coming to a thing like RUF is weird and uncomfortable for you. And kind of took a little persuasion, or pizza, <laughs> or arm-twisting uh, to do. And is actually a step of bravery and a stretch because you've witnessed from afar or up close the hypocrisy um, of, of people who are Christians. And I won't even say call themselves Christians. I'm saying are Christians. Um, and you've looked at that and you've said, yeah, the whole like, self-righteous, hypocritical thing is not really for me, so I don't really want to come to that thing. Because why would I want to do that? Right? Um, But what's interesting to me, though, in this text is that that type of hypocrisy, that definition, saying one thing and doing another, is kind of what's going on, but actually not really. It's more complex. It's more nuanced than that. It's not exactly what's happening here. Because here's the thing. Uh, The people of Israel would say, keep the feasts that God has commanded. And they're keeping the feasts. Sing to the Lord a new song. And they're singing Him songs. Make sacrifices of burnt offerings and grain offerings. And they're making sacrifices of burnt offerings and grain offerings. They're doing the thing that they say that they should do. They are doing what they say. They're not that kind of obvious hypocrite. They're not necessarily on Ashley Madison. They are practicing what they preach. And yet... God says to them, I hate your feasts. I don't even want to listen to your songs. I don't like your worship. Not because like the style. I don't like it. Take it away. It's noisy. And what's interesting about this passage here, everything he's saying he hates about what they're doing are things he himself commanded them to do. Have feasts. Sing. Bring offerings. They're doing the thing that God commanded them to do. And his reaction is to say, like Michael Scott, I hate it. (laughs) What is going on? They're obeying him, and he says, "I hate it." Why? Obviously the word "hypocrite" is not used, but I think obvious from the context. It's hypocritical in a deeper way. It's actually more complex than saying one thing and doing another. They are doing the right thing, but with inconsistency um, and with wrong motives. Inconsistency and wrong motives is what real hypocrisy is. Jesus would go on to say later, You strain out the gnats, but you swallow a camel. He's saying you care about the little itty-bitty particulars of the law, but you neglect love. You don't care about the fate of your neighbor. Um, You keep the purity laws. You pray, you worship, but you oppress the poor. You don't care about your aging parents is one of the examples he gives to the Pharisees. Verse 24 of our passage, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And justice doesn't just mean like, if you're a murderer, you go to jail. If you're not, you don't. It means a, a positive sense of justice. We'll talk more about this when we get to Micah in a few weeks. There's inconsistency, but there's also wrong motivation. Jesus would go on to say, like, don't pray to be seen by men. Even though God commands you to pray, don't fast in a way that's obvious. Other people fasting, meaning like not eating as a religious rite to grow, draw, draw closer to God. Do it in private, do it in secret, and your heavenly Father who sees you in secret will reward you. But truly, I say to you, you have received your reward if you do so to be seen by men. The motivation being to be. Perceived as a righteous and holy person. The wrong motivation in order to be seen. Um, Here's the thing. We like the easy definition of says one thing and does another because it's easy. And it's easy to recognize and it's easy in others and it's easy to recognize in yourself. Um, But the complexity of inconsistency And wrong motive is like messy and weird and gray. And we don't want to go there. It's harder to see it, harder to identify it. Um, But biblical hypocrisy isn't just the deception of others. I'm going to say this, but do this on the side. Biblical hypocrisy is deception of self. Because here's the thing, a a genuine hypocrite isn't like, I'm saying one thing and I'm doing another and nobody knows but me. Like, that's not their song. Like, a genuine hypocrite is like, yeah, I'm keeping the feast. I'm singing the songs. I'm memorizing the verses. Naomi and Benjamin, clean up your room before dinner. What's up? Nailing it. Um, There's a wonderful little book um, called I Told Me So. Self-Deception in the Christian Life by a philosophy professor in California at Biola University named Greg Tenelshoff. And he talks about how right now recognizing self-deception or what I'll call hypocrisy is harder than maybe ever. So it used to be that in Christian literature and like... Spiritual books and theological books that subject was dwelt upon a lot the notion of self-deception was widely written about until about 150-200 years ago and what was happening he argues in this book is that the, the philosophical movement which you and I know as existentialism or maybe don't know but we'll soon take philosophy 101 um, And existentialism was rising, and and the prized value, the prized ethic of existentialism is authenticity. Everybody heard, like, just be yourself, be true to yourself, follow your heart, follow your dreams? Like, every rom-com made since 1970 has the theme of follow your heart, right? Right? Be true to yourself. Um, Every good uh, cartoon movie has that. But because we've elevated being authentic so highly in our values, it makes it that much harder for us to admit and recognize when we're not. Do you get that? Authenticity is the best thing ever. And if I admit that I'm inauthentic, I'm the worst. A more obvious example... It's hard to admit that Okay And it's a little abstract Ever had a conversation At a family reunion Or with your parents Or with yourself And uh, Aunt Myrtle Says I'm not racist But And everybody's like Oh no Stop Just don't say that I don't Just finish the sentence there Like just No but And then uh, Then like a really racist thing Comes out Right um, And you're like my favorite one is like I'm not racist, but you know <laughs> they're prone to steal. Like <laughs> prone to steal. Like, and that's the thing I've heard. Like, my I'm from I'm from Alabama, so like I've I've said ridic- I've said ridiculous things like that. Said them, and it's so obvious to us right now that that's. Like, oh man, you're really kidding yourself. I know who I am. I'm true to myself. I'm authentic. Really? Yeah, you're so authentic. Come on, guys. People are falling off buildings, dying. People are getting hit by trains taking selfies. They are not authentic. The word selfie has the word self in it. Like, what is happening? Like, what have what we become? It's fine to take selfies. I took one the other day. Um, so I'm okay. I know myself. I'm fine. No, it's no, nothing wrong with taking a selfie. I'm just saying, like, we have this culture where we are saying we're so authentic, but we are crafting and projecting an image of a happy, good life. Social media is obvious. One apparatus through which we do that, but... Self-absorption didn't begin with Facebook. <laughs> like, it's been around. We do it in a myriad of ways. This hypocrisy is harder than ever for us to see and admit because we value authenticity so highly, according to Greg. Ten Elshoff, and I think he's right. But so do you and I. We're no different. We're no different than Aunt Myrtle. Like I said, I take the selfies. And there's, by the way, there's nothing. Um, take selfies all you like. It's fun. Um... <laughs> But we can't admit that we're not authentic. But we parade a false image of ourselves around. Um, how do we escape? How do we escape? Here's two ways not to escape. Most people think that life consists of two ways to live. And I think that secular people, non-religious people think this. And I think that religious people think this. I think that we think. And if you listen to like political discussion... It's typically this way, there's a religious way to live, I believe in God and I obey his commandments, I do the right thing, and there's an irreligious way to live, I don't need a God, I choose my own way. Um, And people over here would say, that's really bad and wrong, you should stop. And people over here say, quit being so judgmental, you should stop. Do you hear the self-righteousness in both of those statements? Do you hear the hypocrisy? Don't judge, man. Did you just judge me, dude? It kind of feels like you did. Quit that, but I'm doing the same thing secretly. I was so paraded around, but quit and be like me. hear the hypocrisy? hear the self righteousness? That is what is going on. This guy still's got he's still got rules. Be tolerant, don't offend, don't judge. Do good. All of these lead to the very self righteous hypocrisy that we all say that we hate. And all of these people would at the end of the day be like, I don't really need grace. I'm good. And Amos is yelling at us. I don't love your tolerance feast, man. And I'm not impressed with your Bible memory and your songs. So we need another way. And the third way is the way of the prophets, the way of Jesus, the way of the gospel. And he's already told it to us in the the passages. He's saying, but you didn't return to me. 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 Seek me, God says, and live. Seek me and live. To know that I'm not doing it. That I'm not living up so I can't point the fingers to others. And yet I run towards the one who can and who does. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Return to me. And then as it says in verse 24, of course, seek justice. Let righteousness roll like waters. But how does that happen? It happens by seeking the Lord and living. I'll close with this. Um, this was about maybe 15, 20-ish years ago. You know, you got like service dogs for like if you're like blind and you've got the dog that's guiding you or whatever. They discovered that certain breeds of dogs can actually detect, um, specifically in children but in in others as well, when um, someone who has epilepsy is about to have a seizure, the dog can somehow sense it, sometimes even like hours beforehand, but usually just before. And uh, there's all these examples of, like, a little kid who's about to have a seizure, let's say a four-year-old, walking at the top of a staircase. And the dog will sense it and bark and go crazy, charge the kid and tackle him. Other examples of a little child about to seize, and the dog charges him and pins him against the wall. Tackles a, th- tackles a toddler onto the floor and lays on top of them, not allowing them to move. So that when the seizure strikes, no harm is done. He doesn't fall down the stairs. He doesn't bite his tongue. He doesn't hurt himself. Um, God is like that. In this book of Amos, where he's pictured as a lion roaring, he is not there to attack and cut your throat, though he is threatening it. (laughs) He is saying, I'm roaring at you to protect you from yourself. There is an intruder in the house, and it's inside you. But I will chase you down. I will knock you to the floor. And in Jesus Christ, God has done that very thing. He's demonstrated, look, I'm going to lay myself out. So that you can seek me and live. So that you can come after me. And seek justice. Through me. And in me. Seek me and live. Return to me. God is a lion roaring. And he's charging at his people. But the fascinating thing about this lion though. He's intimidating and scary. When the lion roars. Run towards him. That is the message of Amos. When the lion roars, run towards him. Seek me and live. Let's pray.